Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. As always, we would like to start Indigenuity by acknowledging that we are broadcasting out from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. And so we'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present, and also acknowledge their continued connection to these beautiful skies and lands and waterways. And this is also your reminder to whether you're tuning in live or you're listening back to this later, um, but to acknowledge the country you're on and also the countries that you pass through as you go about your life. So now we're going on to today's guest. We're going to be speaking with Walter Brooks. Walter Brooks is a young carver and artist at Gilamata Art and Crafts Association. He is mentored by senior carver Patrick Freddy Punoratatameri and spends most of his days working in the open-air Marang Ungumiri carving workshop. He uses locally sourced ironwood and earth pigments to make tokwampini, which are birds, figurative works which represent the Tiwi creation story, as well as tutuni poles and ceremonial spears. Walter is a featured artist of the exhibition Wanaringa Japara Amitya Japalinga, which is Sun, Moon and Stars, which has just opened this week at Vivian Anderson Gallery in St Kilda. Walter, welcome to Indigenuity. Yeah, hello, my name is Walter Brooks. How are you going tonight? And, uh, yeah, I'm going good. So congratulations on your works being uh, showcased at this exhibition. I've seen some images and they look fantastic. I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a bit about how you found your way to this art form of carving. Yeah, well, it took me about five years when I first started to become an artist and... Yeah, so I sat down with um, Patrick Freddy Prunhat and Mary for about five years now, and he, he taught me about carvings and paintings, also like, you know, making your own stories and creating your own sculptures. Beautiful. And, yeah, looking at, um, like, other artists as well, like old Timothy Cook and Conrad Tupunguri, like the eldest artists who passed on a bit of knowledge to me. And wonderful there. Uh, yeah, but like my creation was like very important to me as a, as a young emerging artist. And yeah, to like to carry on the culture, like TV culture, it's like it's very hard. But yeah. I, I, for myself and I, I, I didn't want to like let the TV culture fade away in, in, in my in my dream. So I had to, you know, make a story and create all the little figures and making carvings and sculptures out of ironwood. And yeah, to become an artist, like you have to put in a good effort and stuck to what you're good at. So this is this is how I become an artist. Like I follow my dream and keep up the good work. Also, you know, like listening to your elders. And, um, yeah, to, like, to become an artist, like, you do a bit of traveling and sharing culture to the, to the outside world. 
And as a young emerging artist, like, I proved myself from, from when I first started, like, from day one till today, after five years later. Yeah. And I wouldn't be so surprised that, you know, I would be coming this far to Melbourne and to have my first show at um, BBN Anderson Gallery. And... I know it was very hard for me and tough times that I was going through from the first two years when I first started, but after five years, like, I found my ways and I know where my balance is right now and I've got a good technique and my skills level are going up now. Wonderful. Yeah, and, like, I was, like, I'm so proud of what I did for the past five years. As a, as a young young artist and, you know, like carrying on Tiwi culture is very, very special to me and to my people. And also, like, for our next generation who's, who's, who's coming up and who's growing, you know, like, it's very good for me to pass on the knowledge to the younger generation coming behind me. And like, like what I say, like, my, my painting, my culture is like something very special to me. And like I said to, to myself, like I learned from Patrick Freddy Pontar and Mary who gave me a lot of advice and like to be an artist, you have to stick to it and yeah, not like try not to um, take the, like don't let yourself down or Try not to be depressed. And yeah, like I'm very proud of myself and and like I got a good passion, good passion inside me. And I know I'm gonna go a very, very long way from here and I got a good positive attitude. Also working with the elders and sharing stories, culture. Yeah, so I cannot be any proud of myself from today, and I'll be still looking forward to do more, um, more exhibition, more traveling, and sharing my culture to the to the big world. And to be being young artist, like you know, I'm I'm still young. I still got a big future, big future ahead of me. And like I'm I'm getting a lot of a lot of support from family, friends, and other art centers as well, like, they encouraging me and saying, as a young artist, keep up the good work. And, yeah, like, Tiwi Island is a very special place for me and our culture. And other than that, like, even coming together, sharing culture with the other artists and other communities are very, very, like, very strong culture, like Aboriginal arts got very strong culture in this world and it's proud to be Aboriginal because we're sharing our culture to the big world and the world is as art, you know, like you're sharing culture, you're putting yourself out there, your name is going to go around the world and I can't say any more than that because I am so proud to be who I am today as a young emerging artist.
And like I'll be thankful for the elders who pass on the knowledge to me and gave me better experience, knowledge, and 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 a good advice as well. And I cannot say you know how proud I am. I am very, very so proud to be a young emerging artist. I'm so as a as a, as a TV person. I'm so glad to hear that. I, your passion just comes across and it really just brings a massive smile to my face. And to hear how well supported you are, you absolutely should feel so proud of everything that you're achieving. And as you've said, you've definitely got a, a massive life and career ahead of you as well to continue to explore this beautiful art form. So con yep. congratulations. Um, I wanted to ask, you have a few works in this exhibition. Um, and yep. apologize if, if, if my pronunciation is poor, but uh, one is called Purukupali. Yeah, Purukupali. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about um, what is this carving, this piece that you've created, and what does Purukupali mean? Well, Purukupali was the uh, main creator for us. Like, Purukupali was the first, first person to create all the Kiwi people and the different tribes of name, like the skin group name. And yeah, Purukapali, Waya and Jinani, see that was, that was like a mother, father and a baby. So Jinani was the baby and Waya was the woman. And yeah, so first of all, I would like to say like Purukapali was the main character for us, for the Kiwi people. So he was the one who created the the song lines, the the totem dreaming, and that like the skin name and the different tribes, like where we come from. Like we all, that's a four different tribes for Purukapali who created. And so he was he was the main man for Tiwi people, and yeah, he, he traveled a lot. He traveled around the whole Tiwi island, and he gave. He gave the people name of the skin group name, like the four different tribes. That's why we, he had to be the person who he is today, Burkapali. And he was the he was the one who who made us two people became famous. Excellent. And you mentioned as well some of the the materials that you've made your works from. So we know about ironwood and also using different ochre pigments. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about um, why you choose to work with these materials and if there's anything you have to sort of know or think about prior to being able to use the right ochres or the right wood for your carving. Yeah, well, ironwood was the um, right um, carving wood for us and also we use a bit of bloodwood, but I'd say ironwood was the, um, the main tree for us to... Um, create sculptures and make purkapali, waya and like chokwan puni mean birds. So, and even the um, natural alka color, like we got white alka and a yellow alka, but the yellow alka, we, we, cook, it, we cook it on the fire to make a red. So that's, that's a natural uh, white, uh, we got a natural white and yellow, but the, the yellow, we cook it on the fire to make a red. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's our traditional way of making red. That's excellent. Uh, such a genius, yeah. um, it's such a genius material and also the way that you can use something as, as handy as fire to be able to elevate it into other colours is phenomenal. Yep, yep.
And then also the exhibition, and I apologize once again, I hope my pronunciation's okay, but the exhibition being Wanaringa Japara Amintia Japalinga Sun, Moon and Stars. I was wondering if you could share with us a bit about what this theme means to you when you hear these words. Yeah, well, those words mean a lot to me because, like, they're from way back from, like, we said they were more like our ancestors. And um, it, it was part of the um, ceremony time, like, we call it Kulama in, in Tiwi way. So, yeah, the Taparinga, uh, the Tapara, the Tapalinga and the Wandaringa, like, they were the, um, like, that was the time for a season, like, they let us know there's the right time for the season for Kulama. But Kulama means, like, when we start the ceremony, like, and mm-hmm. smoking time, like, start to do the burning, and then that's when, you know, the sun, we wait for the sun to go down, and then people start burning and doing the singing, dancing, and then that's when Tapalinga, the stars, and then the moon, you know, Tapara, the moon, goes down, and then Pondaringa come up the sun. Beautiful. I have a deep love for the skies. So, um, in hearing these sort of these uh, these ideas and themes, it, it gets me very excited about this beautiful exhibition. I wanted to say uh, thank you so much for your time today, Walter. And I hope you are enjoying your time in Melbourne and celebrating this excellent exhibition. Uh, I hope you. I wish you safe travels and thank you for your time today. Yep. Same to you. Thank you. Take care, Walter. Take care. Bye. So we've just been chatting with Walter Brooks, who is an emerging carver and artist of Tiwi of the Tiwi Islands, uh, who is part one of the featured artists at an excellent exhibition which has just opened up at the Vivian Anderson Gallery in St Kilda this week. The exhibition being Wanaringa Japara Amintia. Japalinga, Sun, Moon and Stars. And so Walter Brooks is a carver and has a few fantastic works that are included, one of which being Puruku Pali, which is what we have discussed today. Um, so I encourage everyone to uh, in, to, to, to take a, yon- a wander down to St Kilda, wherever you may be, whatever that wander looks like for you, um, and to check out this excellent exhibition. Uh, the works are gorgeous. Uh, they're re- essentially it's just a celebration of Tiwi culture and knowledge, and hearing that from three incredible Tiwi artists is really um, just a, a gift to to behold. So uh, very excited and very happy for all involved. So now we're going to have, uh, similar to last week, a little bit of a crystals corner where essentially I take advantage of this second half of the show to chat to you about some star knowledge. And so today, the topic I want to discuss is one that just brings me so much joy and um, has been it's sort of related to a, a news headline that's been going for the last week or so. But I don't really want to spoil what that is just yet. So I feel like we're just going to jump into the fun of this topic. So I want to talk about very variable stars. So as you're probably a bit comfortable and familiar with, our sun is a star. We orbit around it uh, doing one whole full lap every year. Excellent. You know, nice and stable here. It's a really good part of of the galaxy. Things are pretty relaxed. Life had the ability to develop, you know, no crazy supernovas or, you know, cosmic explosions occurring nearby. And so we have a pretty stable setup. We have a very stable star. Our sun is gives out a pretty consistent brightness over time, which is excellent because, you know, we don't know uh, if life would have developed on Earth if we had anything different. Because there are another group of stars that exist in the universe, which are called variable stars. And they actually vary in their brightness over time. 
and they have been recorded by in, in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander traditions for thousands of years. And yet this is an object that is relatively new to Western science, which I think is just fascinating because we have these beautiful dreaming stories which go back to time immemorial describing stars changing in our skies. And so this is something that we can see with the naked eye. And so I wanted to share uh, one of my favourite stories and this is relating to the news headline, you know, the, the, the big sort of no spoiler, but, you know, we'll jump into at the end. But I wanted to chat about a Cacatha story, which features two main characters, one being Naona. And this is a, a man, a hunter sort of figure in the community where um, you see him in the skies in the shape that most often is described as being the constellation Orion, so from the Greek traditions. So essentially, this is a constellation in the sky that resembles not just a human shape, but is recognized by cultures around the world as being the shape of a man in the sky. And he's in constant pursuit, chasing those Pleiades, which are otherwise known as the Seven Sisters. And they're an important constellation, particularly for Aboriginal communities. They are really significant uh, when it comes to women's knowledge. Um, and today they are a, another group of characters in this story. So we have Naona, who is a, in the shape of Orion. We have the Seven Sisters or the Pleiades, who in this story are known as the Eucharilia Sisters. And essentially they are these beautiful group of young women in the community that Nairuna happens to see. And now in this story, I'm going to be a little bit mean to Nairuna because he's not a great person. And it is very important for me to attack him on a very sort of deep personal level. Um, and that'll make sense further into the story, but I just want to preface that so you don't think I'm sort of taking out my anger on this poor fella uh, in this tale. But it is very significant, the fact that he's not a very nice person and uh, how he's affected by his own actions is uh, really important. And then finally, we have uh, their oldest sister of the Eucharilia sisters, whose name is Gambaguda. And Gambaguda is actually found in, I think it's the Taurus the Bull, like the Hyades cluster. It's essentially a V in, this, in, uh, in the sky. And it's found between Orion, Unaruna, and the Eucharilia sisters, the Pleiades. And so in this story, in this, in this dreaming story, Gambaguda is their older sister. And so when Nairuna sees the beautiful young women, the Eucharilia sisters of the Pleiades, he decides to pursue them and he wants to make all of them his wives. Uh, they're not interested at all, but he decides to pursue them regardless, which is where we sort of reach the problem here. Naruna doesn't really have much of a respect for others in his community and is a bit entitled and not a very nice fella, as I've sort of uh, hinted at before. He starts sort of, uh, you know, chasing after the Ugarilia sisters, as he does across the skies in this eternal sort of pursuit. And Gambaguda, their older sister in between, she stands very firmly, much like the upside down V in the, in the sky of the bull, her legs sort of standing, you know, very firm, hip, hip width apart. And she essentially just tells him to back off, to leave them alone and to go away. Nairuna is, uh, you know, as I said, not a very nice fellow, and he decides to respond to Gambaguda with anger and violence. So he re reacts pretty uh, quickly with a lot of escalation. And so what he does at Gambaguda sort of taunting, standing in between him and her sisters, telling him to back off, he decides to do the very rational thing of summoning a fire magic into his right fist, in which he intends to take a strike at Gambaguda. Gambaguda is not defenseless though, and what she's able to do is she actually has a fire magic that she can summon into her left foot. 
And in the constellations of, of these characters in Naruna, this case of this fire magic in his right fist, this is actually where we find the star Beetlejuice or Beetlegeist. And this is the star of the story in the way that it is the star of recent headlines. In Gambaguda's situation, in her left foot, what we actually find in the constellation is the star Aldebaran. And so what we're seeing is this sort of cosmic battle between two great, great beings, as well as between this battle between these two stars that they contain within, the, within their bodies. So Naruno, he summons this fire magic with all of his anger and he goes to take a strike at Gambaguda. And what she does instead, you know, with this epic fire magic in her left foot is, you know, I sort of expected a big cosmic, uh, you know, uh, tussle, let's call it that. But really, without needing to resort to violence, what she does is she kicks at the ground in front of him and she brings up all this dirt and these rocks and it's sort of, you know, it's enough to sort of get in his face, his eyes and sort of make him back off, not causing serious harm. And why this is significant is because for Naruna to be such a confident, strong hunter in his community, this is a very embarrassing way for him to be thwarted. And so with this embarrassment and this humiliation, which is why it's important for me to pick on him, because it is, it is very relevant to the story. With this humiliation, this embarrassment, we see his fire magic die down in his right, in his right fist. Gambaguda, seeing that she has perfectly defended her sisters, is able to relax and to let the fire magic die down in her left foot. After a while, Naruna gets sort of angry again. He thinks about the situation, how embarrassing it was for him to be thwarted, not by just Gambaguda, who he sees as just a woman, but also by the fact that it was in such a, I guess, like a harmless sort of way. And so he gets angry again, he summons this fire magic back into his fists, and he decides that he's going to take a strike at Gambaguda once more. Unfortunately, though, this time, Gambaguda is unable to summon her fire magic back in her left foot. And so now she is facing Gambaguda's wrath with, well, sorry, facing Naruna's wrath with this fire magic in his right fist, and without a way of defending herself. However, she is not alone. She is well supported by her community. And so what she does is she actually calls upon a father dingo named Bubba and his dingo pups. And in the sky, they actually make up that line of stars that is recognized sometimes as the shield of Orion. And so they get in between Naruna and his anger that he's trying to uh, exact across Gambaguda. And once again, you think maybe there's going to be an epic fight. You know, we have these dingoes going up, this, up against this fire magic. But instead, these pups just more sort of, you know, nip at his heels and his feet. And once again, he's thwarted. He has to back off. But it's such an embarrassing way for him to be undone. And so with that embarrassment, his fire magic dies down once again. Now, this is an eternal battle. This, this is a cyclic battle that goes on for forever. It always has. It always will. Sometimes, Naruna, he gets angry. He summons a fire magic in his right fist in this star of Beetlejuice. And he goes to take a swing at Gambaguda. Gambaguda is able to summon this fire magic into her left foot sometimes, and she is able to defend herself. Other times, she is unable to find that fire magic, but she knows that she's supported in her community, and so she's able to rely on the father Dingo Bubba and his pups to be able to be kept safe for eternity. And so what this story is describing is not just the fact that these are two stars in the sky, so Aldebaran in the left foot, Beetlejuice in the right fist, and it's describing the way that they change in brightness over time, but it's also describing the way they change in brightness relative to one another. So this is the human eye, careful observations by Kakatha astronomers for 
for, for eons, for a very long history, to be able to recognise that these stars are changing in brightness relative to all the stars around them on this time scale, and also to notice that the stars are changing differently to one another. Betelgeuse, it varies very strongly. It changes in brightness consistently with very big changes, and it's so notable to the human eye. But in the case of Aldebaran, in the left foot of Gambaguda, we don't see it vary as often. It changes in brightness sometimes. It gets a bit brighter, you know, it gets, it gets a bit dimmer, but not super consistently. And so this is just phenomenal to me because this is an, one of my favourite objects in the sky. Variable stars are fantastic. They change in brightness for many different reasons, but it's, it's so cool. <laughs> it's um, essentially having like temperature fluctuations of either sometimes a star sort of expanding and it gets cooler when it does. And then when it crashes down onto itself, it gets hotter again. And so with the temperature, we see the brightness change. But also to, to be able to pick up on such subtle changing over time to me just blows my mind. And especially for an object that was very, very newly sort of discovered in Western science for our old people to be aware of their existence and to be able to describe it in dreaming stories to me is just phenomenal. But what's exciting and what the headline is about Betelgeuse and the reason that I bring it up again is because it's Betelgeuse is not just a variable star, but Betelgeuse is actually something that we call a red supergiant. So this is a massive star. The distance from the sun to the earth is very vast. That is a very, very, very long distance. Betelgeuse is two and a half times that size. It is massive. If it was placed where the sun is, it would extend way beyond earth's orbit and reaching further out into, the, into our solar system. It would consume us. But a red supergiant, why they are this big is because they're actually in their final moments of their lives. And in a universe timescale, when we say final moments, this could be, you know, 10,000 years or it could be hundreds of thousands of years. That's very small for stars that live billions of years. Betelgeuse is right at the end. And what's very exciting and why he's been in the paper recently is because just last week, his brightness, the star of Betelgeuse, his brightness went down by 50%. This is a massive indicator to us that actually Betelgeuse's time is approaching. And recently, a paper was released just last week, which actually quantified how long Betelgeuse has left. And instead of it being, you know, maybe maybe tonight or maybe in 100,000 years, it is seen that Betelgeuse probably has tens of years left. So this is a star that is at the end of its life, and it's going to go supernova, possibly in our lifetime. And when this happens, it's a star exploding in a massive fiery death. And what it means for our skies is that we end up with a super bright object as bright as the moon that we can see during the day that is so rare in history but once again has been described so often in the oral traditions the dreaming stories of our ancestors which is just ah, so exciting so essentially i'm in love with sky knowledge i love beetlejuice and i love the kakatha tradition yet i am also quite excited to hopefully see it explode sometime soon hopefully tonight you know i'll update you next week if that's the case but i'm pr probably not that lucky um but I, I hope that's given you something to sort of think about um, and essentially watch this space quite literally, um, you know, enjoy the pun. Because uh, this is this is essentially a supernova occurrence. You know, they're so rare. This would be uh, life-changing to see. So today we spoke with Walter Brooks, who is a Tiwi carver and artist, uh, who is one of the featured artists in an exhibition which has just opened up this week um, at the Vivian Anderson Gallery in St Kilda. So it's Wana Ringa Japara Amintia Japalinga Sun, Moon and Stars. And so I encourage you to check it out and also to listen back to this show on rrr.org.au. Uh, 
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.